And Lord, I just pray that whatever the need may be here tonight for anyone here, that they would know that you are closer to them than they have any idea. Amen. Let me just try to just, just keep talking. All right, cool. Anyway, my heart's desire tonight is that everybody here really is touched by Jesus himself tonight. And that whatever your need, whatever your heart, whatever your cry, that you will know that he has heard you tonight to encourage you, encourage me, and this will be a special night. What God did through Jesus is extraordinary. What God did through Jesus is extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's so extraordinary that you cannot grasp this with your own natural thinking. Scripture says that the things of God are foolishness to the natural mind. The Scripture says, who can know the thoughts of God? Only the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. And the Spirit of God has been given to us that we might know the thoughts of God. Think about that. Who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God has been given to us that we might know the thoughts of God and the things that have been freely given to us by God. What God did through Jesus is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It is off the charts extraordinary. Remember how they used to talk around Jesus when he would move among them and he would heal the sick and things would happen and they would say, how can these things be? How can these things be? How can these things be? We've never seen it like this. The scriptures teaches that unless the spirit opens our minds, we cannot see what God has done. It's like, imagine yourself thirsty, and you're like in a forest. And you go through this forest, and you're thirsty, and you come to this little pool of water, and, a, and one, one little waterfall. And you're so thankful to, to get that pool of water, and you start to drink of that water. Imagine yourself coming out of the forest thirsty, and you come to this pool of water, you begin to drink it, and there's this fog that's around the pond, this, this small little pond. You can't see past the fog. And you're, so, you're just so thankful to have this water and this waterfall, and you're drinking the water. And then as you're drinking this water, 
the fog that was on the other side of this little pond begins to dissipate. And the fog disappears. And you look and you see for the first time what you were drinking from is not just a little pond with a waterfall, but your eyes behold a vast, vast ocean with waterfalls on either side of beautiful rocks and waterfalls and oceans. This is what it's like, I believe, when we, we first begin to taste and see the Lord is good, but he wants to show us so much more. He wants to show us the deep things of God, Paul talked about. The Spirit is given to show us the deep things of God. And many of our problems in life and our fears and our struggles would be solved if we could see what he wants us to see. You know, Paul prayed for the early church. Paul prayed that the eyes of their hearts might be opened, that they might see the hope of his calling, the exceeding riches of his inheritance that, that was inside of them, and the power that was toward them. He prayed that the believer's eyes would be opened even more and more, kind of like that fog dissipating. I know when I became a believer in 1976, for the first 10 years, from 1976 until 86, as a believer, I had a mixture in my mind of law and grace. I didn't really know that it, that was the problem at the time, but that's what it was. It was a mixture of law and grace, a mixture of, of God doing part of some and me doing some. And, and Paul says a little bit of law will eventually leaven the entire lump. It will eventually take over if you, if you don't have the right view of who God is and what the new covenant's all about. Eventually, the law will take over. And that's what happened to me, and I just burned out. I burned out on trying to be a good Christian and trying to do all the right things and trying to be a good person, and I just burned out. And then after 10 years as of being a believer, around 1986, the Spirit of God spoke to me so clearly in my burnout. I mean, I was like ready to give up on church, put the Bible up on the shelf. I didn't want to read another Christian book. Another Christian cassette tape. There were cassette tapes back in those days. I didn't want to hear another cassette tape. I didn't want to hear, I mean, I was done. I just, I can't live this life. I'm burnt out. I did my best to be a good Christian for 10 years, and I guess the battery wears out in 10 years. And in my burnout, in 1986, in my burnout, God spoke to me so clearly, and he said, look at what the mystery of Christ is heard it so clearly, the mystery of Christ. I had never heard it preached, so I started looking at the scriptures, and Paul actually refers to the mystery of Christ over and over and over again in his letters. The, the word mystery just means hidden truth, hidden truth, the hidden truth of Christ. Paul said there was a secret hidden in God that was not revealed to the sons of men until Jesus came. Paul said there was a secret hidden in God that was not revealed to the sons of men until Jesus came. And the Spirit just took me on this, like this journey of, of listening to what was being preached. And the Spirit said to me, listen to what's being preached. What's being preached is what could, 
what could have been preached in Moses' day. There is no dif- there's no difference hardly in what's being preached as what was preached in Moses' day. I heard preaching about commandments to keep and obedience and repentance and judgment. I heard about all these things that you could have preached in the days of Moses. There was nothing, almost nothing, that I heard out there that was being proclaimed that could not have been spoken in the days of Moses. A secret hidden in God, not revealed to the sons of men until Jesus came. The gospel, the good news, is a whole new reality, a whole new message that Moses could not have preached. Yet Moses said that one was going to come just like him. And Moses said, when he comes, listen to him, because he's bringing a message that we cannot speak at this point. They didn't. They couldn't. What God did through Christ is extraordinary. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. He said, through John the Baptist, the law is proclaimed, the law of Moses. But now the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. What Jesus did, in a nutshell, is that God came to us as a man. You know, we celebrate Christmas every year, and I think a lot of us, sometimes we forget what Christmas is all about. Not us here, but just the world forgets what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the the great mystery of God becoming a man. Emmanuel, God with us. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world. God became a man. And why did he become a man? That he might offer himself up for us. So what did Jesus accomplish that is the, the... incredible secret that was hidden in God. God actually judged the entire human race on the cross. He actually ended the Adamic race on the cross. He is the last Adam. He replaced the whole human race with a new race. By his death on the cross, the scripture says that every man died. Everybody was judged on the tree. Think about this, saints. What God did is extraordinary. This blows religion out of the water. This religion cannot touch this. God terminated the Adamic race on the cross. He ended it all. Where under the law, sin was just covered. The scripture says, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Sin was just covered under the old covenant. And as they committed sin, it was covered by the blood of bulls and goats. And that when they committed new sin, it was covered again with the blood of bulls and goats. But this one who was coming would take away sin. That had never been done. The prophets said it was going to come. The prophets even said the day is going to come when I will remove the sin of Israel in a day. So think about this, saints. God in Christ ended the Adamic race through the death of Christ on the cross. 
But then he raised a new race in the resurrection of Christ. The last Adam began another creation, a new creation. Not born from below through our parents, Adam and Eve, but born from above by the Spirit. So when you believe now on Jesus, you actually pass through death and into life through his death and his life. This is the essence of the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is looking at what Jesus did and the meaning behind it. The gospel is Jesus crucified, buried, and raised again and ascended. The meaning behind that gospel is that you were crucified and you were buried and you were raised a new creation and you ascended with him and now you sit with him in heavenly places in a different reality. What God did through Jesus is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. The natural mind cannot grasp it. It's foolishness to the natural mind. But the Spirit reveals these things to us. The Scripture says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has done, yet the Spirit has been given that we might know these things now. We read that verse sometimes and we think that, oh, that means when I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to see all these things. The eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has done. So when I die one day and go to heaven, I'll see all these things. No, the very next verse says, but the Spirit has been given that you might know these things that you could not know by your natural thinking. The Holy Spirit will open our eyes to these things that you really did die through Christ that I really was raised through Christ, that I really ascended with him in another reality. He, he literally, okay, this is unbelievable. He literally raised you up inside your body. Your soul and spirit were literally raised from spiritual deadness Colossians says he cut away the body of your flesh with his own hand. Spiritual circumcision. It's the true circumcision of which the Abrahamic circumcision was but a picture. The true circumcision is you actually going through death by the work of Christ that God by his own hand cuts away the body of the flesh and raises the inner man up from the dead. Now the body is dead because of sin. The body's going to die because of sin still being in our mortal body. But the, the real new is alive because of the righteousness of Christ. You have, you have literally been translated, Paul says, from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. When we see this great mystery of Christ, this great secret that was hidden in God, how he would take care of our, our sin problem through Christ and give us new life in him, it changes everything. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. We still have the power of sin in these mortal bodies. He quarantined sin in the mortal body. It's still there. The power of sin is in the mortal body. In our members, the apostles taught. The apostles taught that the body is dead because of sin. The power of sin, this mystery of iniquity, remains in the flesh. 
The flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. God quarantined the power of sin in your body, but he gave you a new reality within by joining himself to you. You are now where he is, and he is now where you are in the spirit. And that's why Paul says, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, because when you walk after the spirit, that's who you really are. That's who I really am. See, the natural mind says, this is foolishness. But the spiritual says, yes. Your spirit is saying, yes. Yes. God will reveal to us this great mystery. See, and he did it this way that no flesh could glory in his presence. He did it all by simple faith in him. He literally brought you and I through death and judgment. The scripture says that it is appointed unto man once to die and to face the judgment. And usually you hear that spoken at funerals. But they don't read the second verse. The next verse. The next verse says, in the same way, Jesus died once bearing the sins of the world, of the many. And he shall come again a second time without regard to sin. In other words, the verse is saying, every man has an appointment with death and judgment. Jesus took your appointment, took my appointment with death and judgment. Isn't that awesome? You have already passed from death and into life. When your physical body dies, that's not when you died. You died a long time ago. When you believed on Jesus, the Spirit of God was given to you through your faith. Now, if you don't believe on Jesus, yes, you will die in your sins. And you will face the judgment. If you don't put your faith in the Lamb, there remains no other sacrifice for sin but the Christ. And if your faith is not in Him, then His death for you is in vain. Jesus said, if you don't believe on me, you will die in your sins. But if you do believe on me, you will not die in your sins. So if you believe, what God did was literally bring you through death and judgment. Your judgment and even your death is over. Your physical body, yes, will one day die. The body is growing old and decaying day by day, the scripture says. But the inward man, the new man, the new creation is being renewed day by day by the Spirit, by this incredible joy, this reality that he has brought us to that we might know him in ways we never dreamed possible by the Spirit. The scripture says you're actually one with the Lord now. One. He, he who is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. He literally brought us from under the law through death, and that's the only way you can escape law, is through death. He literally brought us out of the law through death and raised us again so that we could be joined to him who is raised from the dead and live in another reality called the kingdom of heaven. You know, when Jesus first came and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is within reach. Repent. And we immediately think he's talking about sin because of the word repent. Guess what? He wasn't even talking about sin. The word repent just means change your mind. Change your mind. 
That's all it means. Repent just means change your mind. I hear preachers sometimes give these definitions of what repentance is, and it's really pathetic. They load that word up with baggage so that they basically make it impossible to do it. For instance, I heard a preacher just the other day say, the, the word repentance in the Greek actually means just to change your mind, but it must mean more than that. And I'm going, and he says, it means to change your entire personality. It means to stop sinning. It means to change, you know, turn your whole life around and, and whatever. That's not what it means. And I, I challenge these preachers sometimes. I say, well, put your definition of repentance in this scripture. And God repented and did not destroy Nineveh. God repented and did not destroy Nineveh because he just changed his mind and decided not to destroy Nineveh because he saw that they had turned from their ways. But the scripture simply says God repented. God changed his mind. We add so much to that word, and we miss the meaning of the word. It simply means to change your mind, to change your mind. Jesus came on the scene, and he proclaimed to the people, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is within reach. When you say change your mind, the next thing you say is what you're asking them to change their mind about. Like if I said, CJ, change your mind, take the truck instead of the car. If I say, CJ, repent, take the truck instead of the car. The truck has gas. CJ, repent, take the truck. Change your mind, take the truck, see? Jesus was saying, change your mind. It's not like you think. The kingdom of heaven is not far away. The kingdom of heaven is not out of reach. The kingdom of heaven is not somewhere in the future. The kingdom of heaven is, is not someplace you are not worthy to touch and be a part of. Change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. Change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is here now. You see it? That's why it was called the glad news of the kingdom of God. He wasn't even talking about sin. He was telling them to change their mind. You who have yearned for heaven, Heaven is coming to you. Change your mind about how you're righteous. Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind about all oh, you've always, always believed about God. It's not so. You see it? It was the glad news of another reality breaking on the earth. Change your mind. Heaven is coming to you. Change your mind. Heaven is coming to you. And that's why the Pharisees were so angry, because he was not calling people to stop sinning. Are we saying we should continue to sin? Of course not. They said that to Paul. Paul, Paul was preaching this gospel, and they said, well, Paul, it sounds like this just go sin, the grace may abound. If somebody doesn't say that to you, you're probably not preaching the gospel. Think about it. The apostle Paul preached the pure grace of and finished work of Jesus such that some people said, this sounds like a license to sin. This sounds like, let's just go sin that grace may abound. And of course, Paul responded and said, no, because if you, when you realize who you are and the life that is now in you, that life does not produce sin. It produces the love of God, which fulfills every law that was ever given. It's awesome. It's genius. It's God's genius. It takes the burden off of you and put, 
puts the entire burden on him. He took our burden. And we enter his rest. Hebrews says, he who believes has ceased working for their righteousness as it entered into the rest of God, even as God did cease when he created all things on the Sabbath. For Jesus himself is the true Sabbath. Rest in Christ. We can rest. So anyway, around 1986, my life just totally changed. And one thing led to another. The Spirit will open our minds to things we never even dreamed about, that we never considered. And if you come back tomorrow, we're going to talk in more detail about some of these things that really only the Spirit can reveal to us. One of the big things that set me free was the, the 1 John 1.9 verse that I was always taught. 1 John 1.9 means that the Christian must confess their sin, confess your sin, ask forgiveness for your sin so you can get cleansed of that sin, so you can get back in fellowship with God. And if you do sin and you haven't confessed it, you're out of fellowship with God till you do confess it and get it cleansed and get back right with God. That, saints, is so bogus. It's wrong. The people that quote that verse, they, 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 they've always forget to quote the whole verse. The verse doesn't just say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from, you know, he doesn't just say, forgive us our sins. It says, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The saint is never cleansed over and over again for unrighteousness. Never. In fact, God, Scripture says you have been given the gift of righteousness through Christ. You actually have the gift of righteousness. God is counting his righteousness for you, not your sins against you. Saints, this is the good news. What God did through Jesus is extraordinary. And I'll tell you, the poor in spirit will believe this, and they rejoice in it. It's the self-righteous that say, no, 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 no. Can't be that easy. Can't be that easy. No, 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 no. I, I paid my dues. They need to pay their dues too. You know what I'm saying? It's a self-righteousness that blinds us to what God has done in Christ. If you are humble at, of your, at heart and you see that you could never be righteous in yourself, this is awesome news. This is good news. But if you feel like you're righteous, that you can, you know, you can, you can probably pull this off, this is not good news. In fact, you're threatened by it. The Pharisees were threatened by the grace of God because it, the true gospel releases the people to Christ. The true gospel releases people to the head. A legalistic gospel keeps control over the people through men. Jesus released the people to God, and the Pharisees didn't like it. This reality, I'm telling you, you talk about freedom, liberty, not freedom to sin. That's the first thing the legalists will think of. Oh, yeah, they just want to go sin. No. You step into the presence of God and behold the glory of God? The, the, your first thought is to go sin? I don't think so. 
We see his glory. We see the reality of his love for us. The scripture says when you behold the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God, you are actually filled with all the fullness of God, Paul said. And when you're filled with all the fullness of God, you want to go sin, right? The natural man doesn't get it. The religious man doesn't get it. They're blind to the reality of God. The scripture says that he will show his secret to the humble. He hid himself from the wise and prudent. He hides himself from the self-righteous. He hides himself from the religious, but he reveals himself to the babes. Those who are humble enough to come and say, Lord, I am blind. Help me see. He said, then you shall see. But the Pharisees said, we already see. Then Jesus said, your sin remains. Notice, saints, whether sin remains or whether sin does not remain depends on whether, what you see and what you don't see. Because it's not about you doing anything. It's about what he did. Think about that. Jesus said what, re- what determines whether your sin remains or whether your sin does not remain depends on what you see or not see. Not how good you are or how well you perform or how you were obedient or what you did at all, but it's what he did. It's awesome. This is why we're bold. You can't be bold with a legalistic gospel because you don't know if you've you've got all your sins confessed up to date yet. And these guys, these guys that teach you have to confess your sins every day to get right with God and and remove unrighteousness. Are you kidding me? Well, let me ask you this. What do you, what do you define sin as? You know what sin is? Sin is missing the mark of the perfection of God in thought, in word, and in deed, and, and not only what you did, but what you did not do that you should have done. Sins of omission and sins of commission. You want to play that game? You want to put a burden on the body of Christ until the body of Christ, they have to name every sin to stay right with God? It's like a treasonous thing. Our king died to take away our sins, saints. It's like treason to me. It's like treason. He died to take away our sin. And it's not right that the body of Christ is being told that they have to name every sin every time in their thoughts, in their words, in their deeds, in order to stay right with God. That is not the gospel. And what, and what are you going to do between the time that you didn't confess it? I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, really, you want to play, play by these rules? So you sin at 8 in the morning. You sin at 8 in the morning because you lose your temper with your wife, whatever. And you know you weren't, you weren't kind. But you waited till that night to confess all your sins and ask forgiveness, get the slate clean. Well, what happened between 8 a.m. and that night? It means you were out of fellowship with, with God based on this teaching, and you were basically on your own until that night, and then you had this great fellowship with God while you were sleeping because you got it right at the end of the day. Saints, I'm telling you, we have been hoodwinked There is no verse in the entire New Testament that says a believer needs to confess his sins on a daily or hourly or minute-by-minute basis to stay in fellowship with God. There is not a single scripture. 
And 1 John 1.9 is not talking about believers. John is saying that someone who says that they have no sin or that they have not sinned, John says very clearly they are, a, they are calling God a liar. The same phrase John uses in chapter 5 when he says, they who don't believe on the Son call God a liar. John says these people who think they have no sin have not the truth in them, have not the word in them, and they are deceived. That is not a description of a child of God. They have not the word in them. They have not the truth in them. They, they are deceived, and they're calling God a liar. John is simply saying that if you're an unbeliever, you need to get real and realize that, yes, you do sin, and you need a Savior. And you who say, you, you unbelievers who say, I don't have any sin, John is addressing that in that part of the letter. And he's saying, but if you will agree with God, confess that you are a sinner. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see it? It's a simple verse. It's a simple salvation verse. That's the only place in the entire New Testament. Only place. You mean Peter forgot that? That's pretty important. Peter forgot to tell the saints that they need to confess their sins to stay right with Christ? No, in fact, Peter said this. He said, if, if you see a believer who's not abounding in fruit and bearing fruit, Peter says, they have forgotten that they were once forgiven of all their sin. Just the opposite. But saints, this is apostolic teaching. This is the authority of the apostles. This is not some tradition of man. This is apostolic teaching. I'm telling you, it's awesome. What God did, did through Jesus is extraordinary. It's awesome. It makes you leap for joy. It makes you, oh my God, it doesn't, doesn't make you want to go sin. It makes you want to love him more and know him more. You're drawn to him with, by this awesome power of his grace. I will be lifted up between heaven and earth and I will draw all men to me. I tell you, saints, it's treasonous. It's treasonous to our king. Our king paid the price for all of us, for all our sins. Our king took away our sin. And religion has made it so complicated and so legalistic that you can't even get free when you stumble and, and sin. You can't even go boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need because you don't know if, you can, if you're going to confess up to date yet or not. I mean, this is serious. It affects people's lives. How they, how they view God, how they view themselves, how they view each other. What would happen if we started seeing ourselves really as, as God sees us, that we really are righteous? He made it so. We boast in him, not in our righteousness, in him. And what if you started seeing your brother and sister as also one who is righteous in him? Know no man after the flesh anymore, the apostle said, but know each other by the Spirit. What would happen if the body of Christ began to be confident in their own righteousness as a gift and spoke of that righteousness to their brother and sister, reminding their brother and sister of the truth? I know, brother, you just blew it. But just remember, you are his righteousness. We all have the flesh. We all stumble in many ways, James says. But that's not the real you. The real you is new in him. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he's a completely new creation. All things have become new. 
You don't have two natures, saints. You have one nature. If you have two natures, that means you're a two-headed monster with two different fathers. No, you don't have two natures. You have one nature. Just like before, we had the nature of the dark side, evil. Now we have been made a partaker of the divine nature. God actually joined himself to us and kept the power of sin in our mortal bodies but separated you from that sin as far as the east is from the west. How, how can that happen? How can, how can we be separated from our sin as far as the east is from the west? And we'll share some more of this tomorrow if you can come back. I want to exp explain something to you tomorrow that is going to blow your mind. These three lamps up here, we're going to use these three lamps, probably a fourth lamp. I want to show you something about the spiritual circumcision and the new creation that's going to blow your mind. And it's going to be so encouraging to you. So encouraging. Which is what the gospel should be, right? It's good news. It's good news. Sorry I'm yelling so much. I tell you, you cannot help but speak what you've seen and heard. We have good news to tell people. Jesus did it. He really did it. He took away our sin. He really did it. He took away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you think God could inhabit your, inhabit your body? if sin was being counted against you? Think about that. If God is in your body, which he is, Christ in me, the hope of glory. If God, if God is in your body and God counts your sin against you, you know what happens to you? You blow up. You, you really literally blow up. You're dead. It's like when the priest touched their own thing in the Holy of Holies, they died. It's like the guy who tried to... to fixed the Ark of the Covenant that was slipping. He died. He touched, holiness touched, they die. It's when God came down on Sinai. God didn't want to kill anybody. He said, look, tell them to back up from the mountain. Tell the, even the animals to back up. God is coming down on Sinai and he, un, uncreated light was coming. The eternal God was coming on a mountain and he said, tell them to back up because if they get close to me, they'll die. That is what's inside of you now. That same God is inside of you. How is that possible? Because of the value, the great value that the Father places on the suffering and death of His Son. It's by the blood of Jesus that God Himself can inhabit your body. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why you have boldness, great boldness. The righteous are as bold as a lion because you're not worried about, am I doing enough? Am I righteous enough? Am I confessed up to date? No, there's only one thought, and that is to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I told you it was wild. I tell you, deep calls into deep. The greater your weakness, listen to me, saints, the greater your struggle in the flesh, the greater your weakness, the greater your fear, 
the greater whatever it is that seems to be pulling you to the dark side, the more he will match it with light. He will match it with light. He will more than match it. Deep calls into deep. You cannot receive the light sometimes, the great light he wants to give you until you go through a hard time because you couldn't, you couldn't receive it. David said, enlarge my heart that I might receive more of you, revelation of you, that I might see of you. You see? It's all good news. That's why you, you can, James says, count every trouble you go through, count it all joy. Because all the troubles just makes you, you and I more in need of him and more in need of the light greater and greater. And we go from faith to greater faith and from glory to greater glory. It's awesome. If you come back tomorrow, I promise you're going to see even more that will encourage you. I know it will. Not that you don't already see some of this. I'm sure you see a lot of it or all of it. But I know in a crowd this size, there's probably a few that have never really heard this. And they've been stuck on 1 John 1, 9. They've been stuck in their mind about having to confess their sins every day. And you know what? Even those who teach that, they don't do it themselves. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They lay burdens on the people, yet they won't lift one finger to do the, the same thing they're putting on the people to do. He has cleansed us of all sin through death. And Hebrews says... If that cleansing was a daily process, then he would have to have suffered often since the beginning of the world, every day. Hebrews said that. Because this forgiveness is not a daily forgiveness. This forgiveness is a one time for all people, for all time, all sin, once, forever. It's awesome. Man, wait till you hear tomorrow what the two immutable things are, Hebrews says. By two unchangeable things, God did something. By two unchangeable things that we might have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge into God. The two unchangeable things that you might have strong encouragement. Strong encouragement. That's what the scripture says. We who have fled for refuge in him. It's awesome. He's awesome. Lord, we just thank you for tonight. Help us to see these things and, and just rest in your love. Take us, Lord, through the door to your reality. For you are the door. And your people go in and out. We live in two worlds at the same time. Heaven within. While we walk the earth without. Two worlds at the same time. Just like Jesus did. He did it. He did it. Lord, I pray that every person here tonight will have sweet dreams and sleep good tonight a restful sleep. Lord, help the reality of what you did through your son break through 
For you, the same God who said, let there be light, that same God has shined into our hearts the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus, that we might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do it, Lord. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. For the entrance of thy word bringeth light, for in thy light we shall see light. O oh Lord, do it. Do it. Jesus. Jesus. Amen.